the, the policy of the U.S. towards the Middle East has always been get the oil. It's just it used to be cloaked in we're going to integrate uh, Iraq into the international system of commerce. And Trump's like, what? No, just get the oil. And he's like, don't get the shut up, oil. shut up, shut up. <laughs> we had a get, thing get going. The dang oil. It was that thing this week where he had the he had fucking Shinzo Abe there, and he said uh, Japan, or as it's also known, the land of the rising sun. <laughs> and he kind of like looks conspiratorially at him, and it's like you are literally like an embarrassing dad on holiday, um, <laughs> going like, "Can I have a brat first? A German who speaks perfect English. <laughs> uh, he's called open take. He's gonna, he's gonna kill us all. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's good because we've stopped him through the power of this. <laughs> yeah, thank uh, God. Don't, aren't we so powerful? Uh, don't you feel so much better that all of these things aren't like macro political things entirely outside the realms of our control? Thank, thank God we're resisting Trump through snarky podcasting. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna we're, once he's listened to this, he'll resign for sure. <laughs> we're gonna, you know what we're gonna do, guys? We're gonna stop Brexit. <laughs> This is this is literally the beginning to like a guest star of the podcast. Yeah, uh, uh, What's that? It's Poochie. <laughs> anytime, anytime Poochie's not on, the audience should be asking, "Where's Poochie?" Yeah. <laughs> um, Milo, you 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 had something that happened with uh, Russia mm. being all weird, Hell right? Yeah. yeah. Speaking speaking of things that this podcast has influence over and can definitely stop, Vladimir Putin. Um, so, uh, yeah, in, uh, in Russia this week, um, <laughs> like, uh, Roskomnadzor, which is like the Russian version of Ofcom has decided to ban a popular WhatsApp like messaging app called Telegram, which was invented by a Russian guy who's like a notable opposition person. Hold on, I, I do just want to take a moment to address the fact that Riley like deliberately opened his beer as near as possible to the microphone so that everyone listening would know that he was drinking precisely one beer. Yeah, I want them to know that I'm cool. Yeah. Time to drink precisely one beer and own the Russians. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have like that's, oh God. Okay, preview to the listeners. I just got an email because I have we have to read a Telegraph article because of a of a of a of a curse that was put on me because, by a witch because of a bit. <laughs> um, I just got actually e- a plant by the right. I just got an email saying, "Make the most of your Telegraph subscription." Riley is oh, literally dude. subscribed to the Telegraph to own the Tories. <laughs> Exclusive for Telegraph subscribers: get thirty percent off this pith helmet. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Milo. What were you saying about Russia? We got uh, sidetracked, right, which is yeah, very so Telegram unlike. Is this like uh, secure encrypted messaging app, which is um, owned by this guy called Pavel Durov, who's like a famous Russian kind of opposition. He's like an opposition billionaire, <laughs> um, the good kind of billionaire. But actually, because it's Russia, this is like as good as it. He's genuinely like the best person in Russian politics at this point. Um, but yeah, he he founded. Uh, he's like Russian Mark Zuckerberg, basically. He like founded Vkontakte, which is like Russian Facebook, which was then stolen from him uh, by some Winklevoss twins, <laughs> and he now lives in exile in I want to say Switzerland, possibly America. Um, Good place to live anyway, in exile. This, sorry, I mean Switzerland's a classic place to go live in exile. I mean, it's it's the 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 original, <laughs> you know, for the for those for the uh, for the purist for the exile purist. I mean, technically, um, I think the original was like. 
different parts of Greece when too many people wrote your name on an ostracon in Athens? <laughs> I think the original was actually yeah. whatever is just outside of Eden. <laughs> or like when you've uh, when you've when you've slightly offended the sensibilities of Augustus by raking romantic overtures to his daughter, so you go and live in you know Bithynia or the shores of Pontus and complain about the locals who speak bad Greek. Um, Once yet again, like yet again, going after the Roman epic poets, trash future <laughs> takes no prisoners. <laughs> we do we do do that pretty frequently. Ovid, more of an elegist, really, but yeah, it's fine. Um, Anyway, Shut uh, up, nerd. <laughs> we will. I literally Latin literature. Uh, the only the only thing I really care about in life. Anyway, Pavel Jurov. Uh, so he owns this messaging app, Telegram. It's really popular in Russia. It's like at least as popular as WhatsApp, if not more. Um, and anyway, the FSB has been trying to shut it down for ages, basically because they want it to allow them to spy on opposition activists. But they're doing this under the cloak of Ooh, terrorism. <laughs> um, and Telegram refused to give them the encryption keys, and the FSB has been suing them in the Russian court and has eventually got this court order to have them banned. But, of course, uh, the Russian Roskomnadzor, this like Ofcom-type body, are really bad at actually doing their job. So they're, like, they're like basically playing this like really dumb game of whack-a-mole where, like the villain in a Disney film, they are attempting to block all of Telegram's IP addresses, and Telegram just keeps switching to new IP addresses and so everyone's version of Telegram still works, but um, Roskomnadzor has now spent $40 million <laughs> blocking millions of IP addresses, which were not even ever owned by Telegram in the first place. So most of them are owned by like Google and Amazon and other big online companies, which like sell server space. <laughs> and so they've just blocked like hundreds of websites that they never intended to block. Meanwhile, Telegram still works and you get updates on how, <laughs> like, how it's going for Telegram in telegram as, <laughs> as the telegram official channel sends you gifts of like men chasing each other around a lamppost and stuff with captions roskomnadzor tries to block telegram once again i think they managed to block about 65 million ip addresses owned uh used for google cloud platform and amazon web services like i've heard reports you'll you'll obviously know this more that they've brought down a shitload of quite critical russian infrastructure like credit card terminals not working payments infrastructure not working meanwhile telegram's like hey and these are the people <laughs> that suborned American democracy. It is, but like, it is notably inept, right? Like, it, but it's really interesting. Yeah. There is, there, it is a thing about authoritarian control of the internet because basically the same thing happened in China about three years ago. Um, Great Fire, which is the, the charity that tries to bring news uh, into China around the, the Great Firewall, uh, deliberately did what Telegram did accidentally. It plowed uh, mirrors of like New York Times articles through GitHub, through the, the online code-sharing database. Um, and China went, well, you can't do this, so we will block GitHub. It blocked GitHub, and promptly every single Chinese tech company went, you fucking idiots, you've broken our company, and there is no tech sector in China until you unblock this. And China went, ah. And unblocked it about... 18 hours later but like it was it was, it was an incredible cell phone i love this it's like all that's what it is it's like the, the relationship between these countries and the states at this point is that these countries are all like different versions of the three stooges but <laughs> the united states is the wealthy dowager for whom they're putting up a chandelier <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway shall we uh shall we get into the show yeah. Lads. Oh yeah. Lads, lasses, ladettes. 
lad. This is Morum. a noticeably all male one, and everyone's sitting here going, "Is he misgendering us? Is this yeah. problematic?" I mean, in as in as much as as trash future the podcast about how the future if we do not institute fully automated luxury gay space communism has traditionally had a little bit of a too many Oxbridge uh, males problem. <laughs> this is uh... shut up, <laughs> shut up, nerd. <laughs> um, we. Look, we're we're gonna work on it. We're gonna we're gonna get better. But in the meantime, listen to our dumb opinions. Um, I'm not white. If that makes you feel better about, <laughs> I didn't say white males. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no. So, welcome to Trash Future, the podcast about how if we do not implement luxury gay space communism fully automated, I'm gonna get this right one day <laughs> in a fully automated manner. <laughs> one day, someone has to automate me. <laughs> First goal. Uh, uh, Riley believes that the only Riley. thing that can save the world is a system of government he can't even say. <laughs> okay, that's totally a conservative gun fucking argument where they're like, oh yeah, well, what's in a, if you want to ban an assault weapon so much, why don't you know the ins and outs of exactly what AR-15 stands for? I mean, it's it's not though, is it? Like, it's, it's not yeah. the same argument. We're just mocking Guys. you. <laughs> Let's be very to stop clear an on AR-15, this. First, you have to think like an AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone knows that AR-15 stands for Armand Ripon, classic winemaker, <laughs> obviously. And it's a 15-year-old bottle of his Cabernet Franc, right? <laughs> I, I, I tell these libs, if they don't shut up about my guns, I'm going to have to go into the basement and, and slap that, that hog. Slap, slap that David hog is what I meant to say. Oh, you, you see this? Like, oh, God, yeah. Conservatives online all want to spank David Hogg, who is a minor. <laughs> like, there's no way you get in an argument with a 17-year-old and win. Like, you don't. No. Unless you're but, another 17-year-old, you yeah. lose that argument. Yeah, it doesn't well, matter. You've lost through the attempt exactly. of arguing. Exactly. <laughs> Because no, it's, 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 well, David there's... Hogg just tells them their guns look like a fam, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the um, the similarly. Uh, if I let let's introduce ourselves, then I'm then I'd like to tell a tale of my interaction with one Jack Buckby. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. Welcome to that Jack, thing I said, Jack Buckbeak, the hippogriff. <laughs> well, welcome to that thing I said. Uh, I'm I'm Riley. Still, you can find me on Twitter at Rala if you like bad posts. I'm Alex Hearn. I'm a technology writer for the Guardian. I am at Alex Hearn on Twitter. I'm Ahir Shah. I'm a stand-up comedian, and I also exist on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and in the ball, uh, tell me about the ball. Uh, yeah, my name's my name's Milo Edwards. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at. Milo underscore Edwards. Uh, you can also hopefully find me in Moscow and not in a gulag. So fingers crossed for that. <laughs> okay. So I, before we get into our actual content for today, I did want to share a recent interaction I had on the social networking website, twitter.com. <laughs> the shit for which Normal I live. <laughs> twitter.com, live for this shit. Uh, I was, so I was buying some ear medicine for my sick uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a model? You're not getting eyes. <laughs> um, and uh, basically, there's this guy, Jack Buckby, who I think is like a student conservative leader, right? I mean, no, no, he's like a... He, he, at, at the risk of sort of making stuff up, he was either, <laughs> he was either Britain first or very closely allied with Britain first. It's, he is far enough right that it is legitimately unfair to the Tories to call him a conservative. Um, oh, yeah. Here it is. It's yeah. So Jack, Buck, Joe, do you know what it is? Jack Buckby was one of these like 
far right chuds who yeah. like wears a bow tie and so was given like a soft focus profile yeah, no. by a bunch of mainstream he, media he outlets. wants to be britain's richard spencer but he's not smart enough and he has no supporters so jack buckby uh tweeted yesterday uh guys i need your help for a video coming out later today what's the most appalling thing said by a left-wing singer um and because i just like to help um I, I, I like, you know, I, I want to help people out. I'm a people pleaser. I was like, oh, I, I was like, well, uh, Little Mix has started to encourage their younger fans, especially tweens, to cover up and wear modest clothing out of respect for immigration. This is cultural Marxism. And because Jack Buckby wants to keep the teens dressing, the tweens dressing damn sexy. Keep <laughs> uh, it provocative. Responded, you are kidding me. I'll have to look this up. So I can only assume that Jack wow. Buckby must have Googled um, Little Mix Scantily Mix Sexy Tweens. <laughs> little Mix Sexy Tweens. And, is- <laughs> and now he's on a list. <laughs> <laughs> so- Sometimes data-driven monitoring of our entire actions is good. Yeah, sometimes. I love how he fell for that, even though not only does it, does it, is it just not believable at all that Little Mix <laughs> do this, but also that what you said didn't even really make sense, like out of respect for immigration. <laughs> like, this is the thing, right? Out of like, respect for sensible immigration, guys. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> now that sensible is what I call for sensible immigrants. Segway. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, anyway, so that's how I did praxis today. I pranked a conservative online. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's the same as organizing. <laughs> Oh, I just got t- confirmation of my Telegraph subscription. Will this torment never end? Just read the cricket coverage. You'll be fine. Just <laughs> focus on the cricket. Um, so the uh, Commonwealth Heads of Government Circle Jerk is in, um, is in Britain today. Woo. Uh, no, it was in Britain yesterday, in fact. Um, which I, I think is deeply ironic for a lot of reasons. I mean... It- I, I like my favorite thing is just the merit-based appointment of the new head of the Commonwealth, which uh, in a shock decision went to the son of the current head of the Commonwealth. Well, yeah, it was a merit-based Amazing. appointment on most chromosomes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. It's, <laughs> this is, this it's, it's whoever wins the annual Commonwealth get heads of state game of Soggy Biscuit. <laughs> or it, soggy, soggy flatbread, depending on which, which particular ethnic group is you know, hosting that, that year. <laughs> Um, no, so this is this is Brit- Britain's attempt at Empire 2.0 is uh, has kicked off um, because after Brexit, uh, the Commonwealth is gonna be the main um, block of nations with which Britain will trade, assumedly for its benefit. Right? It totally makes sense. That is that is how it will work. If there's a group of countries that love Britain, it's the Commonwealth. I mean, Boy, now, time to take a big sip of beer and check the news <laughs> to find out if we've done anything to piss off that block. Well, I mean, you, you've got a bit about this, right? Well, I just think, like, there's a, a very peculiar argument on the certain sections of the British right at the moment that assumes people they used to own will respond really well to begging after, like, when uh, <laughs> the sort of request for trade deals comes around and you go ha- cap in hand, you know? It's like a... Yeah, the, it, it's the discussion of the idea of our friends in the Commonwealth with absolutely no interrogation of how those friendships started, which is an astonishing position to take. And then <laughs> when you get into the actual nitty gritty of what they actually mean when they talk about Canada, Australia and New Zealand, you're like, oh, wow, well, isn't it like a, a, a tremendous coincidence that the only Commonwealth countries you ever mentioned are the ones where the genocide of the indigenous population was conducted thoroughly, right? It's a, 
<laughs> Very odd. <laughs> what a coinky dink. Anyway, time to move on without addressing that question for her. <laughs> it's like it's like rich white Americans in the South going, You see, you see how close we are with the black community? Many of us have the same surnames. We must have all got along. <laughs> yeah, so that's um that's currently what's going on right now. Um but as I think many of our Well that's that's weird actually, because like I say this occasionally, half our listeners are American. Um Hello. How how are y'all? How are y'all doing? How y'all doing? No, um, th- this is what you. This I, don't, is- I don't fully understand what just happened. I, I'm I'm trying to make them feel at home, at peace, by uh, speaking to them in their language. To be fair, <laughs> you mean you want to go loud and slow? <laughs> Do you understand me? We just. Oh, what's like- that? The stats now say a quarter of your listeners are. Ma- <laughs> Oh, a fifth of you listen. <laughs> we haven't even released the episode. They just, they just. <laughs> they're know. unsubscribing in real time. <laughs> they love it so much. They're moving to the UK because of the sense of immigration. <laughs> to be policy. closer to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are people who have bought like Trash Future shirts who are walking around American cities, which is fun. <laughs> I had a hugely great, uh, awkward meeting at a friend's house with someone who I learned after arriving to this uh, meal wearing the trash future, fully automated luxury gay space communism t-shirt. Uh, she's an employee of the US Department of Defense. And there was just like, <laughs> she, she did quite a good job of only three or four times nervously glancing down and reading the slogan <laughs> on the front of the t-shirt before matching my eyes and then clearly making a conscious decision not to bring it up. <laughs> I mean, did she not look at any of the other words? <laughs> it's a regular like, listener. She was really impressive because there is clearly a thing that I, I, I assume they must be explicitly trained for of how to partake in sort of a dinner table conversation without ever expressing a view. So sort of the conversation turned to like topics like gun control and Donald Trump. And she was a full and active participant in it. And I have no idea what her stance was. Like she was surprised at gun control, but did not, you know, I can't tell you whether she thought it was good or bad or, you know, completely insane or utterly, utterly sensible. Well, as we all know, guns are naturally occurring. Yeah, no, they grow on trees. <laughs> yeah, and it's it would like, be impossible to block them. It's, like, it's just like, it's like, it's like the, uh, the theory of spontaneous generation of different kinds of animals. As we all know, you know, a pile of shirts will generate rats. A, a meat left out in the open air will generate maggots. And freedom generates guns. <laughs> but like America is a country that legitimately spent a decade trying to ban the substance that occurs if you leave fruit on the counter too long. And they were there, mm. okay, well, that didn't work. So clearly we can't ban guns either. Done. And that, that, that's the, like their three line is prohibition doesn't work. Look, like. Except on the stuff that if. You can it, make guns in bathtubs, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like you need to. <laughs> Pour cordite and saltpeter in anyway. a bathtub, and you get an AR-15. Now that's a prohibition party I want to go to. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's what I do. All day. Like I just make, I make guns in the bathtub, and then I turn the taps on, and it's just bullets come out, <laughs> come out of the tap. Homebrew guns made by bearded oh, hipsters. Say, can you see? <laughs> I was really unconfident that you were going to hit the last note, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. I mean, falsetto, falsetto is here, but yeah. I, I can do it. Um, anyway, so um, the Commonwealth—it's a whole <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> we're trying to make it a thing, yeah. and it's sort of everyone else in the well, world is being like, "Stop again, trying to make this for a like, thing." For like, for half of our listeners, uh, what is the Commonwealth? So. Basically. It's what the Queen calls the nouveau riche. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Amazon gift card goes to Milo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, uh, thank you. I can't use it because all their IP addresses have been blocked. But So basically, in the past, uh, Britain owned most of the world uh, and then were fairly consummately told to fuck off around the middle of the 20th century by people, including Mahatma Gandhi, the most uh, passive-aggressive man to ever exist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi, the man who left Britain on red. Yeah. <laughs> really angsty notes pasted on the salt mills. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Left wing man ever to wear flip-flops in winter. <laughs> Uh, so, as a consequence, they wanted to sort of keep some idea of the club still going, uh, and so the Commonwealth sprung out of that desire, right? So there's a notion that, oh, we're all in this together, and let's uh, gloss over the unpleasantness uh, that originated in the circumstances in which we got together, and now let's do things for mutual benefit, which in the 21st century post-Brexit generally means please help us. Uh, we have so consummately, we murked ourselves via the medium of bus. So we <laughs> desperately need your help. I uh, are shit. And, uh, yeah. We have and, cheeses and jams. <laughs> and uh, so many railways. And in the end, what did it for us was a bus. <laughs> Irony. <laughs> yeah. All right, you've, already got the, you, you've already got the Amazon gift card. Stop showing off. <laughs> Uh, but yes, so I think that uh, in the portion of time where the heads of various Commonwealth governments have managed to stop laughing, they have come to London to have a meeting. Um, and there, this meet, like this meeting, like Commonwealth heads of government meeting, like or whatever it's called, like takes place like relatively frequently. Um, but this year it has been coloured by something else entirely, um, which is that Britain has been deporting a lot of uh british citizens uh because they just don't have passports and aren't white basically <laughs> more or less more or less i don't i think part of the problem is they are not technically british citizens they are uh their passports will be british overseas territories it like there you can you can go way back with this but the essential fuck up began in the 70s when britain just unilaterally went yeah, if you have a British passport, but you're not from Great Britain, your British passport doesn't let you live in Great Britain anymore. Sorry, bye. <laughs> exactly. When 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 Britain when Britain started to th think of itself rather as a sort of conquering power that rules the world, as sort of a fortress where we're going to keep all the wealth we took from when we were the first one. Yeah. So we've taken all your wealth, but you can't live here anymore. Essentially. And so, yeah. And so what happened? Like the the ticking time bomb of all of this is that they. When that policy was made, it was an explicit promise and statement and, and policy that if you were in Britain at that time on one of these overseas territories passports or one of these passports that is not from Great Britain, you were allowed to stay. You got indefinitely to remain. And you didn't need to do anything. You just had it. And that was fine. So every, everyone involved in this, in this scandal has been, is and has been legally in Britain uh, since the 70s. This is, this is what the Windrush generation is. It was sort of people who basically came between between World War World War Two ending and well more more than that yeah. in in a large wave of migration which the British government planned and asked for there was in the uh, following sort of in in the sixties reconstruction in, of Britain when when the economy finally started booming after World War Two Britain went we need a shitload more labour we need people to run the NHS we need people to run 
the railway systems, we need people to run the underground. And they explicitly advertised in, uh, particularly in Caribbean Commonwealth countries and countries which were even back then still British colonies. Uh, and they said, hey, come over there, you know, there will be a job for you. And they came over legally, legitimately, until that door was shut in the 70s. And Guys, you've heard of us building railways for you, but what if you? <laughs> build railways for us? Have we got a proposition here? <laughs> Turn it, disrupting the railway game. I say, I, I built mean, railways in, <laughs> in Delhi, <laughs> Cairo, yeah. and boy, did it put them on the map. <laughs> All paver broke. North Cairo. What was it? Yeah. Well, my uh, my my grandfather was invited over in order to work on the buses. Little did he know that a short fifty years later, <laughs> the very bus itself would be the mechanism by which this country destroyed itself. Which was actually his long term plan. I like to I think mean, that is that is a fantastic example of Chekhov's gun. Like <laughs> you leave a bus on the mantelpiece in the first act, and it will get driven around the country with racist slogans in the final act. The, the dramatic composition of your grandfather's life is second to none. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote your grandfather? I don't know, but I wish that uh, whoever did didn't uh, decide for him to die 14 years before he could have seen the bus come to its logical fruition. Uh, <laughs> so basically what we have is there was a massive campaign throughout Britain's former territories in the Caribbean to bring over labor, build the country back up again. And... A lot of the and not one person said thank you. Uh, <laughs> by the way, it was very hostile, from what I've heard from my grandparents uh, at the time. And you're gonna th- well, it, it is it is so difficult to say thank you to people who you've asked for help, and it's much easier to kick them. Uh, <laughs> I, I heard there were there were uh, that there were there were rivers occasionally bloody. Um, yeah, which like I mean I've I've got to say disappointed in my like. People talk about the immigrant work ethic, but my grandparents did not contribute towards even a tributary of blood, uh, which I find deeply disappointing. My grandfather did have leukemia, so it's sort of like fair enough. But with my gran, you've got to put it down to laziness. (laughs) (laughs) So so what we have essentially is we have families that were coming over, right? Mm -hmm. And because like the parents, the families would have been sort of cajoled to come over and and work, etc., and they would bring kids with them. Mm-hmm. And so the kids who just, their status just sort of changed without them really having to do anything. Yeah. And so then what's happened is the kids have the full right to be in the country. Again, erase all borders. Everyone should have the right to be anywhere. Um, but regardless. Even under the rules of the state especially today. Especially in my DMs. We're yeah. talking explicitly and deliberately about people who are legally in Britain and legally allowed yeah, to stay. people who played by the rules, essentially. But because they came over here as kids, and it wasn't necessary for them to get documentation, if they had never bothered to apply for a passport before, just because they hadn't needed one... Mm-hmm. Um, they can't they, prove it. They can't... This, yeah. This is fundamentally the problem. You have, you have an issue where, in 1973, uh, if you had a passport from uh, Jamaica and were in Britain, you could stay in Britain for your entire life. That same passport, that same paperwork, but you being in Jamaica, you couldn't. And that, that has been a state of affairs that has been relatively stable for 40 years. And what happened was, in 2012 and 2014, a pair of immigration acts were passed, which introduced this hostile environment policy, which basically extended the responsibility for checking immigration status from the home office to laypeople, to, to landlords, to doctors and nurses, to employers. And suddenly, the distinction between 
the distinction of when you actually arrived being hugely important, not only to getting a passport, but to having healthcare or having a, a flat or having a job, when that suddenly mattered, you had thousands of people who couldn't prove it. If you can't prove that you were in Britain pre-1973, you can't prove that you are in Britain legally now. And, mm. and obviously pre-1973, you couldn't like check in on Foursquare to exactly. places. So <laughs> it becomes the equivalent of your like, uncle trying to claim that he saw Pink Floyd live once. I don't know what else do people I, check I, in on. I'm the only Foursquare user left in London. Like, <laughs> I still check into places and it's incredibly lonely. Are you it's the like, mayor of everywhere? I am the mayor of fucking everywhere. I remained the mayor of my university law library for eight years after I left. Because who the Hell fuck yeah. else checks Put into a university law library? I didn't even study law. Yeah. I beat the fucking lawyers. <laughs> you wanted to get called to the bar because you were the mayor of the I law did, library. I did philosophy of law for eight weeks, and that was enough to become the mayor of the Actually, library for eight oh years. God. That's how they pick the chairman of the Commonwealth. It's yeah. the mayor of the Commonwealth yeah, on Prince Four Charles Square. has checked into every Commonwealth country on Foursquare, <laughs> and no one else had the foresight to do that. Consequently, he, ha he has earned it through sheer tenacity. <laughs> and, hey, guys, and, just and, checking out Uganda. I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm the mayor of Uganda now. I mean, that's just colonialism. You go to a country, you check in on Foursquare, and then you build a railway, and then nothing else happens. <laughs> it's yeah. all good and well, rather, fine. Like, you you check in and make other people build the railway. I think is uh, yeah, fair, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that yeah, fair enough. Um, that that actually that does remind me though. Do you see that tweet from Brian Cox? Like oh God, the the yes. the dumb person, smart person. Uh, come on, come on. There are better people to you know, take. Jordan Peterson, the dumb person, it, smart yeah, person. In a world with Neil deGrasse Tyson, I don't think Brian Cox is the dumb person, smart okay. person. Brian Cox is a dumb person, smart Brian person. Brian Cox is the smart person for someone who looks down on Neil deGrasse Tyson as the dumb person, smart person. There we go. Wow, that really <laughs> fucking threaded that needle. Uh, in, 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 in this needs to be next to a galactic brain meme for me <laughs> to understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hear only speaks online. Cosmic brain. Brian Cox is actually good. Um, no, it's that um, Brian Cox recently tweeted that he wanted um, he he because he thinks that all of our political problems now are just caused by our politicians being stupid and undereducated. He was saying we should implement an eight-week course in the history of all human knowledge uh, for all politicians to take before they take up any post. To which I, I watch I Evangelion. I, well, I think that's a good idea. I think they should study politics, obviously. I think they should study philosophy <laughs> so they know the difference between right and wrong, and they should study economics so they know how to do it. I think if maybe we could ed educate our, politi our politicians in those three subjects, we would see real change. But why limit it to eight weeks? <laughs> Riley. Why not Riley nine times as many? Say three eight-week terms a year for three years. <laughs> if, only that we could, if only we could find an elite university to deliver this, then finally our politicians wouldn't be dum-dums and we wouldn't have problems like this anymore. But to make sure they don't lose their sense of fun, Every now and again, they should meet up in tailcoats and go out drinking. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite things about this tweet was just like in a in Muffrey's law, it had a fucking typo in it, which just you you're not allowed to go around going, oh, these dum dums shouldn't rule us and not spell right in 240 characters. It's quite easy. Come uh, on, you fucker. I, lo I love dumbs. I love like I love like when smart people really try to perform their intelligence <laughs> and just end up sort of really putting their face in a pie. It's you've just described my entire career, <laughs> and it's uh, <laughs> a, a yeah, that's, that's, that's a really deep burn. Repeated cell phones <laughs> while yeah. trying to look smart.
<laughs> Sorry, liberals. E equals MC cubed, I think you'll find. <laughs> um, so anyway, thinking of this sort of what, what, so what's happened as a result of all of this is that a lot of people have been deported back to countries they have no memory of. They have no memory of. And, the, you know, again, distinguishing and between... Perhaps have never even lived in at all. Like, aren't there some people who are no, literally no, born they, here, they, but because they weren't born to British citizens, they didn't the, get British citizenship? Uh, what, what, we're dis- what, what the Windrush generation is, is people who were born outside of Great Britain, but, but came over here. Like, the problem with the hostile environment policy is, yeah, sort of a shitload of people have been wrongly deported for a shitload of reasons. But what's become really emblematic about this is these people are migrants. Like, fundamentally, they are migrants, but they are legal migrants who have an absolute right to stay in Britain for their entire life with mm. no need for any extra paperwork. Like, they, they have, they were granted indefinite leave to remain the day that became a concept in British law, but they can't prove it. And they've never had to prove it before now. And that's, that's the, the distinction here. That's what's fucked it up. Yeah. And the key, the, the re, one of the reasons they can't, one of the reasons, that, and the reason they have to prove it is, as you were saying, this hostile environment to yeah. illegal immigration, where if you can't prove you're British or have the right to be here, then you get deported and you appeal later. Yeah, deport first, appeal and later second, is an explicit policy of the UK government, which is like ridiculously evil. Oh yeah, like, just just it's one of those things that you just go. What? That's I'm pretty, that's fucked, right? I'm, that's completely fucked. Theresa May is definitely like Doctor Colossus in disguise. Like she's a cartoon supervillain. <laughs> then again, though, this being like preposterously evil is not surprising, given that they've literally called the policy hostile environment, know, which already like sounds that's like, yeah, evil. That's like, a normally they're at least good at trying to like. <laughs> Uh, it's like it's like the first draft. It was called the final solution, and then one intern was oh, like, Jesus "Maybe not Christ. that." <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so um, yeah, I, I think that this has been so. Uh, we, we were speaking about this before um, recording, but so my uh, father has indefinite right to remain in the UK through marriage to my mother, who is a British citizen, but he's always kept his Indian passport. And since Brexit, I've just been like, look. How much do you think that this is going to matter when he's 68 now in a year? He'll be nice. And in 10 years, he'll be ill. Uh, so uh, He's going to have to start dealing more with public services and with the NHS than he has done in the past. And touch wood, like he's been in good health uh, his whole life. And hopefully that continues for as long as possible. But the worry is just like, you know, how much do you think this is worth? Because, you know, when, when you go into the hospital or whatever, like, you know, to, to have to prove that you're in need of something that might actually be quite urgent and any delays in care will be really, really bad and damaging. Uh, that's the thing. So my sister and I are very worried about him and he's like not being, you know, he's very reticent to go down the British citizenship route, A, because like it's a, a personal thing of having an emotional tie to the Indian citizenship. And also it's sort of an acknowledgement of impending mortality to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have to deal with the health service a bit more in the coming years because I'll be in my 70s. So it totally makes sense uh, from his perspective why he would be reticent, but it's just been, yeah, a, a real worry for the family. Like, oh shit, with the way that things are going with the government and what they're doing to migrants, you might really feel the harsh end of this when you can least afford to feel the harsh end of this. Trouble is that, hey, you're never going to fit that on a bus. <laughs> It'd have to be like a bendy bus. <laughs> and a small font. Don't forget. Like 16 point. This is just sensible concerns about immigration. This is, this is sensible immigration policy. Now, hey, uh, 
There's a, cer- a racist, but the two ways you can get into an NHS hospital are either with a British passport or by conforming to a sort of you must be this high to ride, but with a do du- Dulux color chart. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, my father tragically Coco Blush. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got I've got an article here uh, for the Telegraph, which is what we've been uh, foreshadowing. Uh, by former Twitter user Nick Timothy, <laughs> who has, I think, for for this article, been laughed off of Twitter. He 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 deleted his account because he was owned so hard. Like yeah, he is, he's actually laughing though, so it's all fine. Nick Timothy has been bodied off the internet. He got a ratio of 1.3k to 46 likes before he left. But this is the thing about the hostile environment policy: is by its nature, it is impossible to have a policy which uh, enforces hostility on migrants. There can only be a policy which enforces hostility on people who look like migrants, Mm. which is a hugely different group of people. And we discussed this before we came around the the table and started recording, like, of Riley and Ahe, the person who an immigration officer would pick as someone who looks like a migrant is not the white Canadian migrant around the table. Yeah. It's the brown guy who admittedly sounds as though he's been colonized by his own voice. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say until they open their mouths, at which point it becomes very obvious. Yeah, but that's like, you know, if I, if, if I go to a hospital or something and I'm be able to talk, then I'll be like, oh no, he's a Brit, put him over there. And then if I just go to a hospital, but I've been like hit by a bus or something and I can't actually speak, they'll just be like, ah, put him with the other packages. You know what? And I, I, like that's that's going to be the... I genuinely wonder though. I, ge- like, I actually don't think, given how this has been enforced in practice, I don't even think that would help. I think the odds of one of you having to... Sh- like, the assumption would be that not that Riley isn't a migrant when you both started speaking, but that Riley was almost certainly here legally and, you know, because Which he isn't. That's the thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's great the- officer. Stop listening now. <laughs> I have no idea if that's true. To me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. I'm here yeah, legally. Riley, Riley is here legally. <laughs> Shouldn't be. It's just a seditious The worst. Zero out of ten. If we're discussing um, sensible migration controls, well, hey. well, one of the unsensible ones, let this fucker in. <laughs> well, do you guys want to hear a little bit about, about sensible migration controls from yeah. uh, internet genius Nick Timothy? I mean, you've paid the Telegraph Hell to yes. tell us, so we have or, to now. Of course, Nick Timothy, as we all know, is short for Nicholas Timothus. <laughs> um, the Homa, and this is his, this is his article entitled, The Windrush Scandal is Heartbreaking but it should not be used as an excuse to stop sensible migration controls. It's heartbreaking if you care, which I don't. It's a tautology. Yeah. What, what you've got there is like, yes, sen- sensible migration controls are by, by definition sensible. It would be really nice if we had any. Like, sensible migration controls are, oh yeah, if you've got like a mass murderer, pedophile, genocidal maniac who's trying to apply for citizenship, don't, don't allow that. That's a sensible Welcome, migration Welcome, Mr. President. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually only in favor of nonsensible migration controls, like you can only get into the country if you're wearing a stovepipe hat. <laughs> <laughs> only clowns. Only clowns. <laughs> okay. Can you juggle a flaming torch? No. Get the fuck out of here. The Home Office, Nick Timothy writes, is a dangerous place for ministers because it is an operational department as much as a policy department. So this is his, basically his article is, please don't be mad at Theresa May for that thing she did. It's a dangerous place for the ministers in this government because they're all like the fucking villains from Home Alone, like constantly like slipping on spills and hitting their face on paint cans. There's a bunch of fucking idiots who couldn't like fucking. 
It is. Uh, yeah, Milo, if only there was some eight-week course they could go <laughs> on that to make them real clever. If <laughs> only they weren't dum-dums and could actually go to, like, I don't know, maybe, like, some kind of elite university. We'll pay um, for, like, a flying green alien to pop into their sort of subconscious and be like, hey, dum-dum, maybe don't deport a load of British residents. Okay. It is responsible for devising laws and rules, as many government departments are, but also taking hundreds of thousands of decisions, again, as many government <laughs> departments are, of huge importance to the people involved, as many government departments are. <laughs> Apart from Dexiu. <laughs> actually doing jack all except sitting there and gradually panicking as they more and more. As they require judgment and discretion, mistakes are sometimes made. In the case of the Windrush generation, the people who came to Britain between 48 and 71 on their parents' passports... Mistakes are always made. <laughs> the department has been slow to realize there was a systemic problem. I mean, that much, it, that, that much is true. They were slow to realize. Like, hey, picking up my employer because maybe one of them will listen. Like, we, we've been reporting on this for six months. Just And at the beginning, uh, Amelia Gentleman, the, the reporter who essentially has broken the story was calling around basically everyone who has any oversight of policy and going hey this is this has happened someone's been deported who has every right to stay here and it, it looks like uh actually there's there's nothing in the policy that was applied wrongly here that this is just a, an outcome of the policy as it should be applied but the outcome has been illegal and it was like huh well that doesn't sound like something we do can't be much of a problem <laughs> and then just like it happened another 80 times <laughs> No, it couldn't be us. Yeah. <laughs> you must be thinking of another home office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, you mean the Homer office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the home office. <laughs> so, Timothy continues. Um, it, it is, describing the, this, this issue, a tragic tale. The people of the Windrush generation are here legally. They are British. Their experience is intolerable. The home office must fix this problem and quickly. Some ministers must change. Some some say ministers must change their approach to illegal immigration, and here is where Nick Timothy swerves into the unreal, into the stupid. <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> we have hundreds of thousands of people slides off the carriageway and down the verge, <laughs> with limited budgets, time-consuming legal processes, and often a lack of co cooperation from other countries. It will never be possible for the authorities to arrest and deport their way to success. Again, true. <laughs> true, Nick Timothy. <laughs> this is true. I want him to host seminars called Deport Your Way to Success. <laughs> so ministers... Next Jay Shetty book. <laughs> so <laughs> deport means deport <laughs> and success. <laughs> <laughs> so ministers are right to make Britain a harder country to live in for people who are here illegally. It's, it's, it's as you were saying, Alex, it's like, that may be the case. It's like, oh, make it difficult for people who are here illegally. But as you were saying, the assumption is just going to be, oh, you are non-white, so I'm going to assume that you are yeah. here illegally. That's what's happened. Like, the, the two options for that policy are, one is mandate proof of right to reside for everyone for everything. Unsurprisingly... I do not get asked for my passport in my daily life all that often. The other one is trying to. You do when you're jetting off to Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> Part of your my daily life. Day. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, who doesn't commute from Monte Carlo to <laughs> King's Cross? It's 
the the quality of life is so much better. That's why your paper's hemorrhaging money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, sir, but to register on the eight-week politician brain genius course, you're going to need to show your proof of right of residency. <laughs> but like, this is the thing, right? They're, yeah, the only way you can do the hostile environment policy in a non-racist way is to enforce the hostile environment policy on 70 million British citizens in their daily life. Unsurprisingly, that would also be a political vote loser. Because the first time someone lost a job because they didn't have their passport on them, they'd be a bit miffed. You'd probably hear about that in the press. Because it would happen to a white person and it would be news. White people are the only people who get miffed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, man. I am no one in my family have ever been miffed. I, I mean, I think I'm the only person who's been miffed since 1964. Yeah, no, so. Miffed is the emotion you get when you want to speak to someone's manager. <laughs> The partition of India, people were miffed. Gandhi <laughs> demanded to speak miffed, to the manager. An ancient Sanskrit word meaning torn limb from limb because of fucking short-sighted idiocy of what was done to them. We so, want to speak to the manager! <laughs> so, Nick Timothy Wait, says... I've got a prediction okay. here, which is that um, obviously a lib billionaire, possibly Elon Musk, is going to come in and like disrupt the immigration system and be like, there's a solution to this. We just implant chips in everyone that tell you whether they're illegal immigrants or not. They make you just the... have to put it on a reader every time you do anything, and that solves the problem. What's yeah. wrong with that? They'll, they'll just make the first M a capital, so it'll be I migration. For <laughs> I mean, Peter Thiel's disruption of immigration is fucking seasteading, so we've already hit the nadir there. Let's put all the migrants on a boat outside San Francisco so that they can work in the tech sector without the right to reside. What could go wrong? What a Wait, what? genius <laughs> industry. That's, that's a legitimate plan of a company backed by Peter Thiel. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein volunteers to deport all of the immigrants on his private plane. Legit that is a genuine thing. So Alcatraz, they want to do a reverse rock. <laughs> <laughs> what if we had to break onto the island? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an elegant anal beads configuration. <laughs> Is that another one ticked off the bingo list? <laughs> no, that's just a reference to The Rock, a film that I'm going to reference along with Crank and Crank 2 High Voltage a lot more as the podcast goes on. It's actually my Tumblr uh, URL, elegantanalbeadsconfiguration.tumblr.com. <laughs> okay, so uh, Nick Timothy continues. I'm going to make this Telegraph subscription worthwhile. It's, it's well, welcome to Trash Future, the only communist podcast where we read unabridged Telegraph articles directly into your ears. Oh, this what is are the very of Telegraph subscription? Like, Opera tickets that you actually have to pay more for. Uh, <laughs> you get you get, like, you get the privilege hat. of paying more. <laughs> okay, so ministers are right, Nick Timothy says, to make Britain a harder country to live in for people who are here illegally. In recent years, they have made it more difficult for illegal immigrants to rent property, get a job, claim benefits, obtain bank accounts and driving licenses, and even skeptical studies shows that this increases the number of people leaving the country voluntarily. Ministers should not reverse the policy because of the wind because of the Windrush scandal. I'm just adding that for clarity. Um, but extend it to include other services. One of the problem with the hostile environment policy is it's not hostile enough. <laughs> but what I get, what I love with this is that this is where Nick Timothy is just showing his complete inability to have a, a thought that's total. Like, I genuinely, I don't, I don't think Nick Timothy recognizes himself in mirrors. 
I think he. I, th- I think Nick T- when Nick Timothy looks in a mirror, he thinks it's another dog and starts biking, barking at it. I, I mean, does he have tool use? Like basic? Can he can he bend a twig and get I something think, out of a marmite jar? I, th- I think when you leave the this room, dog Nick can't prove it's here legally. I think. <laughs> I think when Nick T- when you leave a room, Nick Timothy thinks you don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because he then says, "The because- most terrifying thing about object permanence is that I'm convinced there are people out there who don't think it's a problem at all." <laughs> okay. So is that then after saying the environment needs to get more hostile uh, than it's ever been, he says he tries to exonerate Theresa May when she was uh, home secretary from ever putting up those go home or face arrest vans uh, that circulated Britain. Probably the second most racist form of automotive transport that have ever by <laughs> this country's roads. <laughs> Um, <laughs> legitimately like you you have a good rule of thumb for the past 20 years of british policy and that if politics and tarmac have intersected it's shit <laughs> i want <laughs> this is a forward-looking podcast i want a racist hyperloop i want to be told to go home by a tube being shot through a vacuum at 700 miles an hour <laughs> That's all. I want to. I want to be sent to India in that tube. <laughs> Where does it suit faster than Nick, ever? Nick Timothy says that actually the go home or face arrest vans that drove around primarily immigrant neighborhoods. That plan was approved when she was on holiday, and she never understood what was going on in her own department. And so it's not actually her fault. So the environment has to get more hostile, but times when it was more hostile wasn't the fault of the current prime minister. It was incompetence, not malice. (laughs) How do you ever say that and think you're helping your boss? Oh, fuck. I love the idea of a bunch of like malicious civil servants being like, right, Teresa's on holiday. While the cat's away, the mice will be really racist. <laughs> Let's be super racist in her name. Way! Um, and it took, this I mean, going to mess up it, her eventual career as prime minister. Is this the point where we note that it took less than 24 hours for that statement to be proved false? Like, Which less, statement, sir? The, the statement that it all happened when she was on holiday and she had nothing mm. to do with it. Less than 24 hours after that, uh, I think it was the Huffington Post um, had an interview with a senior home office uh, civil servant. Ironically foiled because of the stamps in her passport. <laughs> <laughs> but she was, she was on holiday, but from holiday had intervened to toughen up the language on the racist vans. On the, van. on the vans. Like, what, what was it before? Like, consider going yeah. home? Have or, you thought about maybe leaving the country? <laughs> but like, you know, you can see. So Theresa wanted to go home, you slags. Is less racist and less loaded than go home or face arrest. Like, it's that particular language has an incredibly loaded history to it. And it doesn't feel like a coincidence that they picked it. It really doesn't. (laughs) Go home or face a river of blood. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, that would work on me. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, you're like, maybe fine. I hear wears mainly white shirts. Like, a river of blood would be horrible for him. (laughs) The dry cleaning Uh, bills alone. (laughs) Yeah, matter how much vanish do you think I have in the house? This so, is, uh, like, I can't be dealing with that. One of the one of, one of the one of the things we're talking about here also are that um, the decision was taken to destroy the landing cards of the uh, of the Windrush generation, mm. the Windrush kids. So you couldn't prove that they were British. Also, what what really disappoints me about the destruction of the landing cards 
Aside from the fact that, firstly, they're historical artifacts and should have been saved for like archival purposes or put in a museum or something like that. This is a big part of British history. Also, like if you had a single non-white person working in the department, they would have raised their hands and be like, maybe this is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Uh, so clearly it was just uh, a bunch of white people uh, on, uh, in charge of this and who didn't think that it would be an issue. But also, just like nothing really shows the decline of the power of the British state that we've moved from 50 years ago, Operation Legacy, chucking crates of documents outside of boats, which is very dramatic, <laughs> to just moving to just basic shredding. Uh, it's like really disappointing, you know? It's like, if you're you going to be a supervillain, have some fucking flair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw it in a volcano. Yeah. <laughs> or, may or maybe like have like a pulley system and then like some hero has to save landing cards. It could be a whole thing. <laughs> a laser just slowly inching towards <laughs> them. <laughs> So, so what, it's what I think one of these things where it's just like, did you think about any of this before you did it? Like at the point where you're like, shall we destroy all of the records? You have to think like, how would this look in a Hollywood film of this event? This is very much like we're in the bunker. It's the end of the film. There's a lot of artillery going on around and we're about to shoot ourselves in the face. But the last thing we do is destroy all the documents. Has, yeah. Has there ever been a you've, film you've where the good guys have shredded the documents? You've literally just described the end of the British Empire, Milo. You do realize <laughs> that, that's a, that is what was being done with the boats. <laughs> this is actually a, a political tactic that they've used, which is that the previous Labour government took the decision to destroy lots of old documents that were considered no longer relevant, including the landing cards. But mm. even though they took, they took the decision to do it, they didn't do it. And then, and this is some ammunition that's, that, they, that has been used by uh, Nick Timothy and the Tories to try and say, actually, this is all Labour's fault, even though the Tories took the decision to destroy the landing cards and then to create the conditions in which the landing cards were very important. Yeah, like, you don't... Tories' argument is that they're good because they very effectively carried out Labour policy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but second, and this is interesting, which is that uh, Nick Timothy says that all of the campaigning against the Tories because of this is saying, oh, you want to, uh, you want to blame Labour, you want to blame the Tories because of this? Oh yeah, well, Labour in 2007 said that living and working here illegally should become even more uncomfortable and constrained. Okay, so they agreed with you back then. Why? Are, so, are you? Do you think this policy is good or bad? Because you keep saying that. Oh well, enforcing this policy is good, and we have to do it more. But that time Theresa May did it more, it wasn't her fault. Also, but stop insulting us for doing it. But actually, the people who did it are the people that you like. So we're owning you. Also, not sure if you've noticed Nick Timothy, but kind of UK politics has uh, changed quite a lot since two thousand seven, and I'm. I'm Pretty sure most of the people you're arguing against literally defined themselves by arguing against that particular Labour government. <laughs> right. But also, so, there hasn't been a good Home Secretary like ever. It's a job that <laughs> takes good people and spits out racists, and that includes Labour. Or it's a job that takes Theresa May and, and then spits, spits out, out Theresa May. Theresa May. <laughs> it spits out yeah. Theresa June. <laughs> the next level. Come with me if you want to go home. <laughs> right and so then uh, nick timothy ends the argument doing the basic like enoch powell rivers of blood thing which is that well he does which is that labor wants to maintain high immigration and keep like britain from maintaining its status as an ethno state uh because they want easy votes from brown people etc 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 um and that essentially these policies are good 
Nick Timothy has been very perspicacious in noting that I will be more amenable to vote for political parties who don't openly threaten my family. (laughs) 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 As someone whose grandmother was deported by the conservative government of John Major, I took that pretty personally, to be honest. (laughs) uh, So that's essentially the rank hypocrisy of the hostile environment, the Windrush generation, and the new scandal that's consuming the Tory party that unfortunately won't do anything about it. Like, mm-hmm. like this is going to have, this is just, what's happening is like the Tory party, it's, it's not going anywhere until the next election, at which point I think it might be wiped into non-existence, except maybe in Maidenhead, where they think they <laughs> only think that white people exist. <laughs> I think I think Maidenhead thinks of politics like the game Space Invaders, where you just... Yeah, I've kicked in Maidenhead, uh, there's a lot of browns in Maidenhead, but like, it may just be that all of them come to my shows. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Wait, is Maidenhead... They were like, we thought Maidenhead we were the only North ones left. London. Yeah, that's where Theresa May's constituency yes, is, yeah. right? Yeah, okay, cool. So Got where it. the mobile phone network 3 is based. For a second, I was I confused it with Maidstone in Kent. Also extremely Tory. <laughs> what? I, oh, Maidstone I, in Kent is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you hear Thanks, that, I'll, I'm, I'll be there in July. Uh, <laughs> you hear that, Any Maidstone listeners? <laughs> I, think, I think you're great. Uh, <laughs> you hear that, Maidstone? You're on notice. The Maidstone defender has logged on. <laughs> um, but after that conversation about... You, almost, you, you can't say latent, just overt uh, British racism... Um, I kind of wanted to move to uh, a topic of conversation about um, latent but just overt British racism <laughs> that's more within the bailiwick of this podcast, um, techno cynicism. I mean, within the techno good, podcast. technology bad, is my opinion. <laughs> Very on that's brand. new merch right there. <laughs> Edie, I mean, Edie, listening. Edie, can you please print that t-shirt? <laughs> What's currently going on uh, in North... East England. <laughs> the Canadian does geography. <laughs> Is Durham in Northeast? Yes, yes, yeah. no, you did it. Well yes. done. Awesome. Good. Sick. Amazing. I'm so good at England. <laughs> Within the bailiwick of Durham. So no, this, this, this article is a closer look at Experian Big Data and Artificial Intelligence in Durham Police. Are more... Uh, Sweet God. Some of our listeners may already expect that this is going to get racist. <laughs> because when the police use artificial intelligence... <laughs> That's a, that was the tagline for the current season of British history. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Empire 2.0. This is going to get racist. <laughs> um, so essentially what's going on, and I'm, I'm, I, there, there, I'm, there, are several, there are several sort of news outlets reporting it. I think Big Brother Watch of all of they them. They uncovered it, yeah. Yeah, Big Brother Watch uncovered it and has done the best reporting. All, all the other sources are reporting on what Big Brother Watch uncovered. So, Is that like the, the magazine show they have after regular <laughs> Big Brother? <Yeah>. Big Brother's <laughs> little brother. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what's happened is that the police in Durham have used commercially available data sources. Uh, this one provided by Experian, a credit rating, a credit rating agency um, called Mosaic. Mosaic provides approximately 50,000 pieces of information about every British adult. So, mm. it's also like, I didn't know that there were 50,000 things about me. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a lot of things. 50,000 things I deport about you. <laughs> 
Whereas Riley has 50,000 just on his masturbation habits alone. So, uh, the Durham police has developed a machine learning algorithm called the Harm Assessment Risk Tool, HART, to evaluate the recidivism risk of offenders. The algorithm scores offenders to place them in one of three categories of low, moderate, or high risk, and those deemed to be of moderate risk of reoffending or below are offered the chance to go into a rehabilitation process as an alternative to prosecution. However, the ways <laughs> the ways in which people are sorted into these categories is the paint chart. Is once again <laughs> the paint chart. Coco blush or lower? Uh, yeah. To jail with thee, sir. <laughs> so the AI tool uses thirty-four data categories, including the offender's criminal history, their age, gender, and two types of residential postcode. Two types. <laughs> I There's only, have... only one type. <laughs> How many? Pe- like, yeah, what? The police have access to a second secret postcode system. <laughs> <laughs> um, so stonecutters postcodes. Post <laughs> <laughs> so the um, ultimately the um, the the mosaic system categorizes people by a lot of different um, a lot of different sort of uh, uh, metrics. Experience Mosaic Code includes the demographic characteristics of each stereotype of person, where they pull thousands and thousands of data of different data points to try to predict the reoffending history. Characterizing Asian heritage as extended families living in inexpensive, close-packed Victorian terraces. Adding that when people do have jobs, they are generally in low-paid routine occupations in food. Transport or stand-up comedy. <laughs> and disconnect. Discon- <laughs> You're the worst hype man in the world. <laughs> Disconnected youth. It's here's my the, culture. Here's, here's the weird thing. Like this is why I think like all all algorithmic methods of governance are inherently conservative. That is to say, the artificial intelligence is the intelligence of an old person. Because disconnected youth in this profile are characterized as avid texters whose wages are often low with names like Liam and Chelsea. Oh my god. Because it, avid texters, they're all over Bebo, MySpace, you know, all, the, all that stuff. Like, some of them have Nokia 3310s, some of them have Nokia 3330s. You kids are charged with looking at your damn phones. <laughs> <laughs> Get outside, really cool it's kids warm have today. The, the Nokia N70 with the front facing camera that can do video calling. <laughs> so, Experience Mosaic links these names to stereotypes. For example, people call links, like it looks at first names to like infer ethnic origin and stuff. Um, so, people who are called Stacy are likely to fall under the families with needs stereotype who receive a like range to fall of under benefits. The really hot mom category. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the mom has it going on. Whereas, whereas <laughs> you're charged with having a mom who is an absolute fox. <laughs> whereas Abdi and Asha are crowded kaleidoscopes. Oh, crowded kaleidoscopes. What does the what <laughs> describe? One of the worst bands of the eighties. Crowded yeah. kaleidoscopes. Described as multicultural families likely to live in cramped and overcrowded flats. Whilst Terence and Denise are low-income workers who watch too much TV. Also, what does like? Multicultural. Under this definition, like, are my family multicultural? Because we're, we're all. Your family monocultural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's that lovely thing. The same way someone goes, we want to hire a diverse candidate. It's like, no, you, <laughs> no, you don't. What, do you, what does that mean? Somebody wears fucking polka dance? Like, 
Oh, look, they've, yeah. they're both a goth and an emo. <laughs> wow. They're doing like one of those half and half duet acts where like one half <laughs> is dressed as a woman and one half is dressed as a man. <laughs> um, but they also will look at things that are more like that aren't aren't sort of there. They'll look at ethnic issues. They'll look at all this, but they'll also look at stuff like, are you from a postcode where they're where the ratio of gardens to flats is negative? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so are you from an affluent area or not? And uh, yes, the two genders, gardens and flats. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, what the police are then doing is they are using this system. Where they're, they're basically, what they've done is they've created a massive regression analysis, I think, I suspect. Where regression in more ways than one. <laughs> it, might be a, it might be a neural network. That's just more regression analyses. Um, I mean, it's a bunch of them tied together. This is not the podcast where I go, oh, actually. <laughs> actually, I'm a nerd. Anyway, uh-huh, here's, as my, a nerd. here's my lunch money. <laughs> um, but Josh Future is actually a podcast where all Riley. of the guests compete to hand their lunch money to the other people. <laughs> I'm more nerdy. Take mine. No, I'm more nerdy. Take Riley, mine. Riley did actually make Alex go and buy him beer earlier. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not a million miles away from something that's Someone's actually Someone's getting a swirly before this podcast is out. <laughs> oh man, said Payne, come to my house. <laughs> uh, anyway, inch by inch. Anyway, um, so what we have is all of these, they, they're saying, look, we're going to take this historical data where we have all this information about people and whether they reoffended, and then we're going to use that to predict their risk of reoffending in the future. Do either of you guys know why that's fucking pants on head stupid <laughs> could it be because america already did it and it was super racist mm. i'm gonna go with that one do you do you have a no i, I think that i'm gonna be on team alex here as well <laughs> and, uh, yeah it's just yeah. Uh, well it's the assumption that like the algorithm itself cannot be biased because it doesn't have an agenda and therefore you ignore the fact that what's being fed into it has yeah. its own history and biases uh and that will continue to impact the thing that gets churned out. And I think that that's why sort of the unwillingness, particularly in the tech sector, to regard the input as being loaded uh, and not really come to terms with that and think about what that means for the ethics of what people are doing going forward is very, very troubling because you'll get to a situation where you're like, well, how could the output be biased because this was made by a computer that doesn't have any of these biases and just ignoring the fact that we were feeding into it. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing about this is that the, the American example, um, this was a company called North Point in America, which built a very similar system, uh, which was widely used amongst American police departments and uh, tied into American sentencing guidelines to, just like here, uh, suggest whether or not someone should receive rehab, probation or go to jail. Um, the American example was found by the uh, investigative journalism organization ProPublica to be systematically recommending jail terms more to African Americans than to white Americans. Uh, I, I don't want to knock the job of any investigative journalist. I think that they do very great and important work. But like but that, I'm going to suggest that the layperson would also have been capable <laughs> of coming up with that conclusion. Yeah, think? <laughs> uh, uh, like, in the most surprising news of all time, so, <laughs> just, the justice system in the United States was systematically racist. What is nice about the North Point one, though, is the North Point one did not use a data set that contained the race of the offender. Mm. Uh, it effectively, the, the data set worked out the race through all of the other characteristics. 
So it like did know proxies like income where exactly, you live. Exactly, that sort proxies of thing. like income location. It worked that out, and despite not knowing the race, it still managed to systematically suggest harsher sentences against Black Americans than white Americans. And so Durham and Experian saw this and were like, "What if we build a system that goes people called Ahara Brown? What if we <laughs> would that fit? That might fix it. <laughs> cool, cool. This will work. This will be fine." But it's it's to me like this. This bespeaks, I think, a, a fundamental problem, and I think, not, not I'm no, I don't say progressives, but progress-minded, that is, say, people who put a lot of their faith in this idea that we can outsource our own decision-making and elements of our social organization to sort of machines, and that will make it somehow more ethical and balanced. Cyber-utopians. Yeah, I think this gives the lie to a lot of the cyber-utopian thinking, because I think a lot of that's predicated on this idea that there is this totem of the data and that if we can get the data and we can have the algorithm, then we can have the right outcome. And it's utterly ahistorical and it completely forgets that historically people may have been pushed to do things by power structures that they might rather not do. It might forget that kind of criminality isn't the only people in which criminality is inherent are, of course, Italians who have an extra lobe in their brain <laughs> that gives them a certain low criminal deviousness. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, hey, as we I'm all know. I'm a legitimate businessman. <laughs> but th that's the problem. It's a, just a new kind. That's the thing. It's a new kind of phrenology where we're just thinking like, oh, yeah, well, we're not saying black people commit more crime, but everyone with every characteristic of a black person will commit more crime and it's not our fault. So, but actually, it, like, it's even worse than that. The people who, uh, who support this kind of uh, tool, Mosaic, North Point's tool, uh, do explicitly go, they, they are the, the um, Charles Murray Bell Curve types who go, no, 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 what, what's happening here is that big data has proven that black people do commit more crimes. And that these, these tools are just building that proof, that fact that you can't argue with, just building that into the system. And so they, you know, if you show them, if you go, hey, this, this algorithm is systematically recommending harsher sentences for one race than another, the response isn't like, oh, but we thought we'd engineered that out of the system. The response is, good, cool, that's clearly right. <laughs> the AI has successfully determined that black people have a low criminal nature and need to go to jail more. Yeah, it's, well, it's trying to sort of cloak prejudices and stuff in the language and uh, systems of objectivity. Mm. Uh, like, well, it's the algorithm did it. So mm. I got, and I do think like the, I'm, I'm not like some cyber utopian guy. In fact, yeah. the cyber dystopian mm -hmm. uh, guy. That's why you're here. But yeah. <laughs> um, mm. But I think like the, the trouble with that, what, what the sort of person that you were describing earlier is principally focused on the fact that they will do lots of thinking about where this goes in the future and entirely ignore the reality of the past, right? And it's, I think that the important thing is working out a position where we can get to, where we can marry a realization of the systems and structures that were in the past that have contributed towards data being what it is now, and then at least having an awareness of how that impacts things going forward. Well, it requires, I think it, it requires two things. It requires a really, really robust and self-critical analysis of history, and it requires a very, very strong class analysis, in my opinion, that you have to understand the ways in which, in which economic pressures, which often go unacknowledged, 
because they're thought of as natural by many people, work on influencing behavior and the ways in which our decisions about who counts as human and who doesn't have also influenced behavior. And if you don't have those two things, then you will think that society is just natural and everything is natural and we can't do anything and we can't get any better. And there are people who misbehave because that's just in their nature and we have to control, punish, or mold them. And that there is this idea of there's the us who are the full humans and the them who aren't. And I do quite like the idea of there being like something inherent because it makes me feel like I might have magical powers. Like (laughs) I like the idea that for some reason, like my grandfather in the 1960s had the superhuman ability to negatively affect house prices. (laughs) And (laughs) and I'm like, dude, that's so impressive. Like, it's just like, what you just wait, you exuded some sort of pheromone or something is amazing. But see, I'm like, you're start, I you're just am... trolling people by like viewing houses on the <laughs> streets. You have no intention of buying. You could run such a good protection racket if <laughs> I will not come to view your house. Like I am, I am, I, I think this there is literally that sort of thing did literally exist to prevent people from ethnic minorities moving into areas. Like oh yeah, redlining in well. the states they call it redlining. It's crazy. Say, uh, nice neighborhood you got here. Be a shame if uh, someone like me were to move into it. <laughs> I like I I think then you need to have a bit more attention though on the the technological uh ground structure of all of this because what 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 there is what this is is it's not a lack of understanding of the uh racist past of respectively Durham and the entirety of America uh especially Durham in America especially <laughs> Durham in America <laughs> Fuck, you've got it bad. Um, sorry, North Carolina. Love to North Carolina, except the racists. So love to like about a quarter of North Carolina. Um, what you've got is uh, you've, you've got you've got a technology which is fundamentally built on large data scales. And my my, my favorite example, the one I always come back to with this, is uh, translation. Um, specifically, a translation example of Turkish to English, because Turkish, unlike English, uh, has far fewer. Uh, and there's going to be a Turkish listener listening to this, and sorry, I'm going to butcher the grammar of your language. Uh, Turkish doesn't have a gendered third-person pronoun. English has he, she, they. Turkish just has they, or he or she, uh, or it. Oh. Um, similarly, you don't have like gendered endings to words, all of which means that the Turkish, uh, is, that accent was almost certainly fucked, but that is the the phrasing of it, um, literally translates to he or she is a doctor or he or she is, he or she is a nurse. Uh, in every single machine learning translation between English and Turkish, Obir Hemsir will be translated as she is a nurse because the examples of Obir Hemsir being translated to she is a nurse over the corpus of joint English-Turkish texts are far, far, far higher than the examples of it being translated to he is a nurse because Historically, nurse has been a gendered occupation and translators have translated it in a gendered way. But there is a ground truth for that. This is the difference between translation and criminal history, is there is a ground truth. It is incorrect to translate that in a gendered way. You are just wrong. But nonetheless, the way these translations algorithms work is you can't reach in and tweak it and go, oh, by the way, actually, 
this shouldn't be translated like that. It has to be done based on the historical data. And so you end up with this system that it, it's not as simple as knowing that you've got a problem. Anyone you speak to who works in machine translation will know this is an issue. But they just have, they, they put their hands up and they go, ah, yeah. we've got to base it on the past data. And if you can find us an unbiased data source, fine. But otherwise, we're going to do the best we can. And that's the problem that we've got. That's the future we're building towards is one where people know that they're training on, on biased, on racist, on sexist data sets. And they go, what do you want? You don't want the future? No. <laughs> the weirdest thing is then when you translate he, a phrase like he is a curd back into Turkish, it comes back as he or she is a grave danger to regional stability. <laughs> <laughs> I, wow, I, this sounds like a trash future. Also, it sounds like we've been going for a full hour and a half and Nate thinks it's a crime against humanity to do a podcast that's over an hour. Oh, I agree. He is correct. Yeah. So I, I think uh, it might be time uh, for me to say thank you to Ginseng for our theme song, Here We Go. Uh, you can find it on Spotify. I strongly suggest you listen to it. Also, to remind you that um, sh our shirts are available on lilcomrade.com. Uh, you can order anything, any text you want. We do ship internationally. And I strongly recommend that you purchase one. And also to say thanks to uh, Alex and Ahir uh, for being here today. One last go around with uh, Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> and uh, yeah. thank you to Milo for that being in the like ball. not even acknowledged. <laughs> yeah. And now, yeah. dogs early alive. Let's see Swisher. No, anyway, fine. Um, uh, also, uh, can people still vote for us for the British Podcast Oh, Awards? yeah, there's the British Podcasting now? Awards. We totally forgot to plug that. Yeah, vote for us for the British Podcasting Awards. You have until the 12th of May. I'm going to put the link in the description. You know, the podcast with the Canadian and the guy in Russia. <laughs> the British Podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, judging on when people <laughs> listen to the Nick British Timothy. Podcast Awards, vote. <laughs> judging by when people Hostile listen to- Hostile environment against <laughs> trash future. Judging by when people most often listen to this, enjoy your commute, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Ooh, bye.